Well, good morning and welcome to the Men's Leadership Network. We're glad you could join us this morning. I want to always welcome the satellite campuses meeting at 55 South, Highway 55 in Nolensville, uh, Bricks in Cool Springs, and then Flavor Catering in Nashville. Welcome to you guys. Glad you could join us this morning. This morning, I want to, before I introduce Joel, I want to remind everybody that you, if you have questions and want to get them in to Joel or Jeff, you can do that two ways. You can email us at questions at mensleadershipnetwork.com. Or you can tweet us at underscore leadership, excuse me, at leadership underscore net. So we'll put those reminders up there a couple times during, uh, during our interview this morning. So if you have questions, please get those into us. This morning, it's my pleasure to welcome Joel Barone. Joel Barone is the vice president and group business manager in the automotive division of Merits, a sales and marketing services company that designs and operates employee recognition and reward programs, sales channel initiatives, and customer loyalty programs. Originally from New York, Joel has a biology degree from Brown University, where he also played linebacker on the football team. He later received his MBA from Duke University. Joel's career path has spanned several industries, including education, real estate, hospitality, and automotive. Through his uh, career journey, Joel has come to understand that his passion doesn't lay in any specific industry, rather it's driven most by the desire to help improve the performance of people and processes. Joel and his family have been members at Rolling Hills Community Church for five years, where he serves on the A6 ministry team, we love that Joel, thank you, and currently lives in Franklin with his wife Tricia and their four children. Please welcome me in welcoming Joel Barone. Joel, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Joel, we're so glad you're here today, you know, and I've had the pleasure to know you and uh, watch you. You're just, you're a natural leader, and, uh, and I've seen that just in your workspaces and the things I've heard there, but also I've watched you with your family and I've watched you at church. And so uh, as we talk about the changing face of leadership, it, being a leader it really is all the time, and uh, I think you exemplify that. So uh, tell us a little bit about your family and then also your faith journey. Yeah, certainly. Um, well, first, I want to say thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's funny we've been doing MLN for what three years now. Yeah. Uh, this is actually the first time I've done one in this building, uh, and I live right around the corner. So uh, shout out to the guys at Bricks. Uh, <laughs> that's you know, where you usually are. Yeah. So it's been good. Uh, so as uh, as Thomas said, I have a wife, uh, Trisha, and four kids. We've been married uh, a little over ten years. I have Colby, who's eight; Delaney, who's six; Jet, who is four; and Trig, who is two. Um, so right around the time, we're due for another one, I guess. But uh, <laughs> we finally figured out what caused it, so yeah, now yeah. we know how to end it, right? Uh, <laughs> so I think we're done at this point. But uh, my faith journey, grew up in New York, uh, so I'll try not to say use guys. I'll assimilate and say y'all. <laughs> but um, I grew up in New York, Christian home, uh, you know, got saved at a, you know, elementary school, uh, young age. But I think I was that kid who every time they called a, you know, turn your life over was asked, I said, just one more, yeah. you know, just one more just to make sure that I was fully covered because I didn't feel I was doing enough. And I think that little part of me that felt like I wasn't doing enough really carried on through my high school and college years because I just, you get downtrodden because it's not something you could earn. And I don't think I truly accepted the gift that God was giving us. And uh, throughout high school, I grew up in a really rough area and um, all my friends that I hung out with were not, not believers. And so I was a token Christian guy because um, I went to church and it was weird for them that I went to church. And uh, I think little by little that kind of weighed on me. And I kind of, I never really fully enjoyed the Christian life and, and took, took what God had really given me as a gift, but I also couldn't really enjoy the world because I was hanging the fence, I was really straddling the fence for so long. Um, and throughout high school and college, it really took a, a toll on me. And I really think once I left my parents' house, went away to college and played football and was so busy in school that I just kind of shelved my, my, my faith for a little while. 
um, started making worse and worse choices and you know, trying to do all the thing that the world told me I want, really wanted to do, right? Money, power, you know, women. And uh, you started making some bad choices and I finally got to the point where I was starting to accumulate these things and was just miserable. Mm. Uh, I said, I don't, I don't understand, I'm supposed to be happy. You know, I'm doing all the things I've ever had. And, I'm um, still going to church on Sundays, you know, on my own. I uh, living down in Florida when I was teaching high school, and um, just I would go on almost kind of like my checkbox, like, oh, you know, say my Hail Marys, and I'm good, and I'm, I'm covered for the week, and, uh, but just didn't really do it. And I kind of looked back, did some introspection, and said, I do everything in my life 100%. Sports, school, work, um, I'm all in or all out, and except for my faith walk. My, my whole life, I'd straddled it. So I finally said, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring, and I'm going to really do this God thing, is what I said. And... Um, God brought an amazing pastor in my life, became a really good mentor of mine, um, and I always felt judged, like, in the church, and, and that was kind of why I ran, and I sat down with this guy, and he really just opened up, and I shared, I kind of, I sort of shock and awed him, you know, came and told him all the things that I've done, and waiting for him to walk me out, and he looked me in the eye and said, you know, Joel, I love Jesus, but I'm a sinner, and I've actually struggled with this, and this, and this, and it just settled my soul, uh, and that really started the journey where I kind of been as much as I can all in, not perfect, right, but, uh, but I strived to kind of follow the Lord and recommitted my life. And it was right around that time, coincidentally, that I met Trisha, and she was the first Christian woman I've ever married. Uh, well, the only one I've ever married, but <laughs> the first one I've ever dated. And uh, I think she just has really, we've kind of grown together, uh, and it's been amazing. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, tell me what your first lesson was in leadership. Okay. Um, so my dad uh, had really spoken leadership over us uh, really our entire lives. And I remember this, this one instance, like it, like it happened yesterday. So we were driving to soccer practice. My dad was the coach. I was eight years old. And uh, we're going to the car, and he turns to me and says, hey, Joel, you're going to be captain this week. And I'm like, great, captain. You know, in Little League soccer, everyone's a captain once a week. You know, you know they change them up. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in charge. That's what I'm going to do. I'm captain. And he's like, so it means you're going to be a leader, and that's kind of responsibilities. I'm like, yeah, I get to t- tell people what to do. Yeah. This is great, you know, and I get to call the coin toss. What, what, what else does an eight-year-old want? And so we get to practice, and I jump out of the car, and I run to the field, and my dad goes, Joel, 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 come back, come back. Uh, you got to get the cones and the balls out of the car. I'm like, all right, all right, Dad, sure. So I get the cones, I drop them down, I go hang in front of go, come back. you got to set them up now. we got this drill and that drill. And I'm like, what's his deal? So I put the cones out, we're doing our drill. Someone got in trouble, had to take a lap. And he goes, hey, Joel, take a lap with him. I was like, I didn't do anything wrong. He's like, you're the captain, man, go take a, take a lap. All right, Dad. And like this is now is like enough's enough, Dad. You know. <laughs> uh, so we finish practice. We you know say our prayer and close up. And we start walking back to the car. And he's like, "Hey, the, the cones aren't going to clean up themselves." Now I'm just furious. You know, like throw everything and stop to the car, threw in the back. I'm like huffing and puffing in the front seat, and he looks at me, and goes, "Pretty mad at me, huh?" I said, "Yeah. What's the deal? I'm the leader." He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "A leader should never do any ask him to do anything that they're not willing to do themselves." Mm. And so, and then he kind of went and talked about. Christ's leadership and being a servant leader and just saying, you need to serve those that you're leading, and if you don't, no one will ever follow you. And that has stuck with me. Like, I remember the color of the car. I mean, everything so vividly because I've said forever as I kind of grew in my leadership, uh, whether it be at home or work or church or wherever it may be, is just to really serve those and always want to be known as a servant leader going forward. That's huge, Joel. And you were eight years old. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, and now you're a dad. Yeah, with, with, with an eight-year-old. <laughs> with an eight-year-old. And you're thinking about those leadership lessons that you're teaching them. And, you know, here you are, you know, later on in life, and you still remember that. Yeah. that that's powerful. That is powerful. Well, tell me, because, you know, from there you went on to university, Brown, you know, great school, played football, getting your MBA at Duke. What did you start to see in the academic sense of mm. leadership? Uh, I think 
So at Duke, I probably learned more outside the classroom than I did inside. Really? Um, so one of the reasons we picked the school was we had Colby was one. We were pregnant with Delaney. We actually left pregnant with Trig. And so it was a very hectic, chaotic time. And uh, so time was limited. But, you know, you'd walk in there, and there's like 30% international students, people from every trade known to man. And so you walk in and realize everybody there was smarter than you, right? And everybody there felt that same way, that you don't really deserve to be there. And you kind of look around and go, wow, this guy's really good at finance. This guy's really good at marketing. This guy's really good at this. And look at all the things that they've accomplished. And you get really, you're like, all right, well, I'll step back and let those guys lead. And then you look around and everyone's doing the same thing. And so I think one of the first things I learned was you don't need to be the subject matter expert or the the sharpest guy in the room. You just need to be willing to take the step and lead. Uh, Because your job isn't to have all the answers. Your job is to corral the team and pull the best out of everybody and make sure you work together and gel. And so that was number one. And then number two um, was just perspective, is we do a lot of case studies and you know, open-ended questions. And I'd sit there and pre- prepare before class. And the days that I thought I had it knocked down, this would be so easy. We're going to have a class half hour early for sure, were the, way, were the days we had the most discussion. Um, and I'd sit there and go, wow, I, I didn't see it from that perspective. Or, how did I not see it from there? How did I not see it from there? And I'd sit back and just listen to different angles that people looked at things. And really, I've really tried to carry that on into the work world where it's not I'm right and you're wrong. It's how are we looking at this problem differently and how do we find the best solution together as opposed to kind of going you know, adversarial in the workplace and saying, you know, this isn't, no, I'm right, I'm going to hold my ground. And, and realizing that compromise really is the way to get to the best solution and not a you know, half-baked idea. Yeah. Uh, and so I really learned that just from working with these amazingly you know, talented people at school. Wow, I, I think that's a huge lesson, right? And I wish you know our country could learn that. You know? <laughs> so, but it's true at work, you know. And I think at guys, we we always want to win, yeah. and, and and it's not necessarily about winning. It's necessarily about helping the other person become and reach all their potential as well. And so, how do we? It comes back to that servant leadership that you learned at eight years old. Uh, but how do we serve? And in the process, you lead. Yeah. I mean, Jesus was the greatest leader of all time, right? Amen. So, and uh, just amazing. The I mean, what God did. Uh, and what God continues to do today. Joel, talk about this. You've had so many different experiences. I mean, you think about teaching school, you think about real estate, you think about you've worked at some major corporations. Uh, and, and talk about how do different companies teach leadership or develop leaders? And what have you seen companies do well? And then what have you seen companies you just kind of went, ah, that's not yeah. helping? So, I mean, private, public sector, right, education, you know, industry, you know, they all do it differently, but in some ways, many the same way. And I think what, you, what I've realized is that stepping into these different companies, and a lot of them just expected it, mm. right? And so it takes a lot of time and money to develop leaders, and, uh, and, and frankly, it's, it's just hard. So I feel like a lot of companies do is they develop managers, right? They give you a class. They tell you, go, go take this class, and you'll be good. And... Um, but then you get back to your desk and you're busy, right? Mm-hmm. You, you take one or two things. And if you've ever taken any of those leadership classes, they're really good. Yeah. They're really good stuff. But I go back, I sit at my desk, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do some of these couple things. Oh, I got a phone call, I got an email, I got a meeting. And you run around and then you're never held accountable to actually implement anything. So it becomes a lot of fluff um, and, it's, and it's tough because it takes effort, right? Without the accountability side of it, it, it it's hard. And I had a mentor when I was at Nissan and uh, he said to me, he said, Joel, you'll learn a lot from good managers and good leaders, you'll learn even more from bad leaders. Because it's so painful, you'll never forget the lessons that you don't want other people to learn from you. Um, wow. And that was, that was really instrumental. And, and I look at the people that I wanted to follow, and they cared. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I think that is a really big difference, is they cared. And I felt like I trusted them because they cared about me. And I had, uh, again, this was my first manager at Nissan, I sat down with him the first day, and 
He said, you know, don't be a paycheck stealer. People come in here, they punch in, they punch out. You know, uh, they, they do exactly what they're told, nothing more, nothing less, and they walk out the door. And he goes, you know, I want you to do more. You need to make things better. So when you bring me something, you need to make it better. And so I was like, okay, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, what's yeah. going on? And, uh, you know, I would give him, and I put some on his desk, say, I got this done. And he looked at me and goes, did you make it better? And I'm like, well, oh, I was busy at this. I got done. He's like, go make it better. I'm not looking at it. You're a smart guy. You're here to make things better, not to get things done. And, and he, so he really challenged me. So he was this amazing leader, but it wasn't easy. Mm. But I trusted him because for something so simple, so simple, he would come in every Monday and say, hey, Joel, how was your weekend? How's your family? Oh, we're good. We're good. So let me tell you about work. He goes, no, 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 no. Tell me about your weekend. What'd you guys do? And we talk about his family and my family and that little nuance of just really digging in and asking the second question and really saying, no, really, tell me about you. I care. Yeah. And I'm like, if he cares enough, again, something so little that ticks inside you going, this guy actually cares. And so when he asks me to do stuff, I don't get mad. I go, all right, this is a challenge. I want to I work well for him. And the opposite's true. Mm. Right? Those people who don't care, you don't necessarily trust them that when they ask you to do something that you're like, eh, I don't know if I really do that. Are they doing it just to help themselves or me, the company? I don't really know. And so you kind of have that pause. And that pause is critical that you have to take away when you're leading people in the workplace or anywhere for that matter. Man, I think that's so important. I mean, yeah, you talk about leaders who care uh, versus leaders who just want to get a job done, mm -hmm. right? And it becomes about them and their own success and using people, basically, mm -hmm. uh, versus how do I develop the people that work with me or work for me? Mm -hmm. So I think that caring part is huge. And, and, sure. uh, and sometimes we can get busy as men doing our jobs, and we can forget about that aspect. Yeah. And uh, that, that's important. So think about this. We, we talk about this often, but are leaders born <laughs> or are they made? So, I mean, I think there are some people just naturally exude those qualities that people want to follow. Yeah. Um, but without some intent and effort to do, to do the right thing, to follow the path um, and to develop those further, you can only, you have a threshold of how good you're going to get. And so, uh, it's funny, last weekend I saw a quote from Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. Heisman, Heisman running back from Stanford. And the guy asked me, he said, what is your... What is the thing that commentators say that annoy you the most? And he said, I hate that they say I'm deceptively fast. He goes, I hate it because they act like it's something that's so natural. He said, but in reality, there's a lot of four, five, 40 guys out there digging ditches. There's more than that to be fast. And it just hit me as I was thinking about our discussion, wow. just going, there's more than just having those, you know, that normal quality that's just going to exude after you. Because when, t when push comes to shove and your back's against the wall, that's when your leadership really matters. And that's where people can clam up and kind of start self-preservation, that fight or flight mode. And that's where if you're not trained and you're not developing yourself, you're not trying to further yourself, that you really know will never take them to the next level because that's where leadership is most needed, when things are bad, not when things are good. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that's why we're here because I yeah. think leaders are, are, are made. It's not just something that you're born with. We all have this talent that we're born with, but, but how do we grow in that leadership? Mm. And, and for every man, I think you, you've got to be diligently growing, right? Uh, or you're going backwards, right? Yeah. You're, I mean, sure. you're either going forward or backwards. So how do companies create a culture that develops leaders? Mm -hmm. I think you said the keyword is culture, right? Yeah. It's got to be part of how they do business. And, you know, I mentioned before, they try, they try to create these classes, and then that's it. But it's really, again, it's expensive. It really is because you need to have someone there to keep you accountable. And if you don't have that accountability part of it, we never really grow. And I think that's the benefit that we see in sports is, right, you can't just show up. Mm. You have a coach, you have a team, you have people there who are going to call you to the carpool when you're not doing something right. And so I've had the fortune, I've always sought out mentors, always just kind of went around and said, you know, who can, who can I pull from? Who can mm -hmm. I, you know, and at the same time, how do I be um, 
how do I give back to them as well, but really understanding who's going to keep me, who's going to lovingly call me out when I'm not doing the things I said I wanted to do. And, and uh, I found that in really kind of every walk of life. And it's just, you know, my dad was such a, you know, influence in that area. And when I left home, I don't have dad anymore. I still call him, but, you know, just to have someone there look at my everyday life. And so I think that's really huge, but it's expensive and it's time consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen at other companies, they've done this, check the box, we take some classes, go be a leader, do your thing. Um, but what ends up happening is they're so short-term focused. And so it's all about the bottom line. How are we going to make the sale? How are we going to make the numbers? How are we going to do all these different things in the short run that they'll sacrifice poor leadership for performance? Mm. And so you could be a poor leader and still extract like blood from a stone people in the workplace and they're miserable and they're unhappy and in the long run it's awful. But in the short run, it's important. So as a company, you're hitting deadlines, this and that. You're not willing to say, hey, I know you're performing, but this isn't how we do business. Either change or ship out. Companies aren't willing to say that. And even if they do, they'll, it's an empty threat because they're actually not going to because next thing you know, that person's promoted. And, and it just perpetuates up the cycle. And so as you're coming up through, you go, well, why do I have to take the effort to lead well when I can just do it like this guy and be, you know, be an authoritarian and just tell people and put my thumb on them and, you know, your idea is great, but mine's better because I'm the leader. And so that, I think, short-term focus is really what really hurts it. Mm. And so I'll say the company I'm in now has been a, a eye-opening. It's been really cool. That there's almost like... Titles don't matter. People sit in meetings, and all everyone's, and but it's brought up through the culture that way, uh, from our CEO down to the admin at the front desk. Um, it's it's amazing how open and collaborative it all is. But it was built and ingrained in the culture for that to happen. Um, and if you try to step out of line, they will they'll pull you out of line. But it, it takes a lot of work to do that. Yeah, you you are so excited about this job, this <laughs> opportunity, and and I've watched you. I mean, you just light up when you talk about it, but. But what are those things? What is that culture that you've seen there that you just go, man, that is, that's awesome? I mean, I'll give an example. We were doing uh, just yesterday. I flew in from LA uh, yesterday afternoon, and um, we were doing our account review. What is our plan for, you know, to take this to the next level to move over? And I sit down with my, you know, my, uh, my senior vice president and a bunch of other people and talking about our, what is our plan and what is our strategy when we do this. And sitting next to me is our admin who answers our phones. And uh, we're talking through different things. She goes, I got a great idea. And everyone's like, yeah, what? Go ahead. What is it? And so everyone's excited because she sees things from a different perspective. And I think that's really, truly embraced mm. to say, I don't care where you are. You see things that I don't see. Shed some light. That doesn't mean every idea is going to be taken in, right? But you, right. you want to listen. Yeah. You want to see and pull out what nuggets there are. And I, I don't, it's really hard to kind of put your hands around what that is, but it is just truly ingrained into how they do business. It's a family-owned and operated company, and it's just done that well. And not to say a public company can't do that. But it just, it takes effort. And when it's not there, it takes even more effort to right the ship. Yeah. A lot of effort. And so how much time and money and effort are you willing to put into that? Um, and I'd say it's worth it. It's yeah. worth it in the long run. But you have to have a long-term perspective to do that. Well, every person's important, right? Yeah. Every person's valuable. And I think for us in leadership, we, you have to start to think that way. And, and when you don't, you create a culture that... Uh, is difficult for everybody. It's unhealthy. Yeah. But you if become you, a taskmaster, yeah, right? You just yeah, go and yeah. do, do what you're told. Yeah, yeah. So, Joel, th- this gets to the heart of it, but to me, leadership really begins at home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've watched you. you. You lead and love your family well. Thank you. And tell me, how did that come about? Because that's a priority for you. Um, so, personally, I've always been kind of focused, right? How do I set goals. My dad would, um, you know, my dad would, we'd have family goal nights every Sunday night. 
And so we'd sit down and we'd talk, what are our weekly goals or monthly goals or annual goals? And he'd call us out and, you know, we'd sit around the table and go, well, you said you want to do this, but you, you know, did this. How is that helping you? And we'd all call each other out. It was posted on the side of our fridge and we looked at it every day and we reset it every month and uh, every week. And I um, hated it. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say, wow. <laughs> but it became me relentless in the goal-setting world. But when I would bring that to my wife, she's like, we're not a corporation. Stop trying to make me set goals. And, you know, and the same thing like mentors. I sought out mentors. And so we got married, and we were married two months. And uh, not even we moved because we move a lot. And uh, we got to a church, and they had a sermon on marriage. And they said, we're going to start this marriage mentor thing. I was like, hey, let's do it. She goes, well, what are you trying to tell me? I was like, no, on a scale of 1 to 10, we're at 12. Yeah. But I want to keep it that way. And so we found this couple that just invested in us, and it was amazing to start our, our marriage out that way. And, um, and just reading, right, whether business books or marriage books, but reading and then implementing, I think, is the really big thing, is how I've tried to develop myself. Now, you have to, you have to implement, right, because we read, and that's step one, but you have to actually take those parts and put them into your life and make them part of your process. So I would do all those things at home and thought that I was doing my job as a leader, um, <laughs> But it really was falling on deaf ears. So where I failed is where I then turned around and tried to take my lessons. And so I would come home, and I'd you know, grown in my career, and I have all these people who are listening to me, and I'd say something, and they do it, and I'd walk in home and just kind of feel entitled to that same leadership at home. And, and I, we would get in fights, and I'd literally say, Trisha, like, why do people just blindly follow me at home, and you don't, you know, what's the deal? And, you know, we would get in these massive, like, discussions uh, <laughs> of what that meant and why. And, and I just realized it was all because I wasn't leading well. I felt entitled to that leadership when I walked in the door and I wasn't receiving it. And so I could choose to kind of step, step back and be easy and go, whatever, let's do what you want to do. Or I could understand what the cause of that. It was my priorities. Is I would always say, God, if you ask me what my priorities were, I'd say it was God, my family, others, work, self. That's what I said. I told mm. everybody that if you asked. But my priorities really were work first. And mm. um, I meet with these group of guys every week, um, started about two years ago, and it has been the best life-giving relationship I think I've ever had. And we could lovingly call each other out on different things, and we kind of talk about, you know, our faith, our family, our work, how can we make each other better, and call it our success meeting. And um, one guy said to me, he goes, so, you know, Joel, you always talk about your priorities, and you're always stressed out about work, and what's going on? And he said, here's the thing. He goes, at your center, your, your number one priority is at the center. Think of it like a big dartboard. It's at the center. And when things start to infiltrate your center, that's where stress is involved. So I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, all right, if you're at work, you're in a meeting, and Trisha calls, is it more stressful to answer the phone or not answer the phone? I was like, yeah, it's more stressful to answer the phone, so I mute it. He goes, okay, well, then when you're at dinner, at home, and work calls, is it more stressful to answer the phone or not answer the phone? I was like, wow. And that like, little illustration really made me understand how out of whack my priorities were. And so that was the start to, I think, go into the next level with, uh, with my family is just really understanding what that was. And it took me several months to start to change that mindset. And that doesn't mean that, you know, always have to answer the phone, whatever it may be, but it was that stress that it shouldn't have been there. Mm. That when I'm at work, I didn't need to answer the phone at dinner. I'll go back to work tomorrow or I'll do it tonight, you know, later that night. Or if it's really that important, it's really, they'll, they would have called me. Yeah. You know, they would have they called me twice, three times. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing that's really that urgent. We, we, I should sell cars, right? I, <laughs> I didn't save people. And so there was nothing that was really that urgent um, that really needed to take away from my family. And so I started on the path to kind of where we were. And between the books I've read and actually started when we first came to Rolling Hills, we mm -hmm. did a small group. Um, that in this one chapter, in this one book, it talked about a family mission statement. Mm -hmm. And so we took a crack at it and said, all right, let's do it. We did it. You know, we wrote a kind of couple sentences and really kind of shelved it and really never looked at it again. And then our life got crazy. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so we sat down, I pushed her, said, let's, let's dig that out and really look at that again. And she's like, here we go, the corporate stuff again. My, you know, this is a family. I said, no, just, just go with me. Let's go with me. And over, over about two years, literally it took about two years, we'd write it, we'd shelve it, we'd come back and look at it and go, hey, what about this? What about this? And it really broke down to these like 10 tenants um, that we kind of said, this is what we truly feel. If we, the Barones got wiped out in a big car accident tomorrow, knock on wood, um, and someone was going to stand up there, if they left any of these out, would we feel like we were successful as a family? And we said, any of those left out, we feel like there was something missing. Anything added, yeah, it was frivolous. Wow. And so we really broke it down to these core things. And it has been amazing what has done in our house over the last year and a half, two years when we did this. So you guys, you sat down with Trisha because if I'm hearing this right, so at first you said, hey, let's do goals, and that didn't go over real well. <laughs> and uh, so, so then you came back and you said, okay, well, what about a family mission statement? Right. And then you worked on it together. How long did that process take? I said it was about, about two years of wow. kind of going back and forth and back and forth. And every time we think we had it right, we'd kind of go. And we wanted to, we had, wanted to actually, uh, there's a picture up here on the show. We finally did this. It's about six foot wide and four feet tall. It's in the center of our house. And we just wanted to be, excuse me, it's, it's just so important to our family <laughs> and what it means. We've seen this breathe so much life into our, into our family. And we were in a moment where... My life was crazy. I mean, I would leave before the kids woke up. I'd get home after they went to bed. And I worked 10 minutes up the road, and I just never saw them. And my priorities were just so out of order. And as we're doing this, she would lovingly say, Hey, Joel, put God and family first. It's the hmm. first thing up there. How? How are we doing that? How can we fix this? And so we'd be able to, we were just so much on the same page <laughs> that it helped change things, where that would have caused an argument before. But now I say, this is where we want to be. This is what we want to do. It makes sense. We need to make changes. And so it just really aligned us that we could do this. But it was an iterative process. And, you know, they become things that just roll off of our tongues now with our kids. And so we put that up probably only about six months ago, not even. Um, and it, I went, I literally finished hammering up, went to the garage, I came back. My eight-year-old's always going, what does that mean, Mom? Mm -hmm. What does mean assume the best? Give grace. What does that mean? And becomes these, and they're like in these little moments in discipline, and you know, I'll say, hey, Colby, you know why? Because you didn't do your best here, right? You did halfway, and this is what you want to do, and they understand it. And he said to me, like, one day I, I did something wrong, and I, you know, yelled at him, and, and I was out of anger, and I said, you know, buddy, I'm really sorry. And he came, he's like, no, Dad, I forgive you. And, and I walked over, I was like, come here, take a walk with me. I walked over, he's like, you know what you just did? You just offered me grace. And looked at me because, Dad, I want to do all ten things in that list. <laughs> I almost broke down, in, you know, in that moment because that's what we want, right? We want them to understand the little things in life. If I were to get, again, I personally were to hit you know, tomorrow and gone. You know, mm -hmm. if God takes me home tomorrow, they have, it's kind of this, this, this list of things that I want them to live by. I know that if they had me forever, that's, what, that's the things that I really want them to do. Um, so starting with the end in mind, I know that that's where it is. So my goals have changed too because it used to be I'd set all these goals and halfway through the year I'd be like, these don't matter and this doesn't matter. This, this was kind of a to-do list. And now I sit down and I have my mission statement at the top and my personal one is I'm a Christ-centered servant leader who takes my work seriously but not myself seriously. I want to have fun but I'm going to serve those I work with. And I want to win and I want to do things but we're, we're not going to take the fun out of it. And um, you know, I want to do all these things. So I have the two of them at the top of my list, and I go through, and I'm like, is this helping me get to that goal, to this mm -hmm. mission? If it's lateral, backwards, kind of a distraction, it's out. Mm -hmm. And so it really helps me focus on the essential few that I really need to work on and move forward. And um, it's really helped with major life decisions. This job is a, mm -hmm. is a perfect example. Um, 
you know, we had this set up, we're feeling good, we're looking at jobs, and I just said, you know, my life is crazy, and we gotta, we gotta make a change. We gotta figure something out. I'm not able to lead in the way I wanna lead. And uh, my wife one day, I came home, she's like, all right, I know it's no stressful day, I'm gonna get this bath, here's a pen and paper. I want you to write out your dream job. Figure out, I'm like, we've talked about this, just write it down. I'm like, then what? She goes, we'll talk, we'll talk. I said, all right. So I write it down, I'm like, all right, this is crazy. And we go put the kids to bed, we come down, I said, now what? She goes, I don't know, that's what we talked about. So now, now what? She goes, now we pray. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> it's easy enough, now we pray. And so we just prayed circles around that, and it was almost a month to the day. Um, I hadn't really started the job search and figuring out, I was trying to put the pieces together. I got a random email out of nowhere from a guy I did business with two years ago, and I uh, said, hey, Joel, you know, it's an amazing opportunity, I'd like you to think about it, and here's the job, here's the job description. And it was almost verbatim to what I wrote on that page, mm. except for it wasn't in Nashville. Mm. And it was, it was in Dallas. And uh, I almost kind of wrote him and said, thanks, but no thanks. We moved six times. I just promised my wife like a month ago we weren't leaving. Um, and I just couldn't, couldn't stop. And I walked over and I put, put my phone on her lap and said, just what do you think? And she looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, how can we not? We've prayed for this specifically. Mm. I was like, but it's not here. And she looks at me and she goes, where does it say geography on our mission statement? But what this job is going to allow you to do, it's going to allow us to put our God and family first. It's going to allow us to do the right thing. It's going to allow you to be a servant leader that takes your work seriously, but not yourself seriously. It's going to allow you to do these things. And so this major life decision, and, and then I, I literally walked into my interviews with the CEO, and mm. I put my mission statement in front of him and said, I want to know, here, here it is. This is, this is what I stand for. And the first thing on that page is my family puts our God and family first, and I need to know and work for a company that's going to allow me to do that, and not just allow me to celebrate it. And I've never been so bold in an interview, especially with the CEO, and he looked at me and says, Joel, my name is Steve Meritz. Mm-hmm. Family is everything about this company. And faith, I was like, ah, faith is on me. He's like, well, you know, we, we are the largest donor of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in the state of Missouri, so do with that what you will. And then our conversations just went off from there. How'd you meet your wife? What are your kids? And we just saw an envelope, and we said, you know what? I want the bones because I had nothing to lose because I wasn't going to go take another job just to take a job. I wanted to be able to fulfill my mission. Mm. And it really started on that path. So it's been amazing on how the different aspects of our life that that has really, really come into roost. Man, I love that, Joel. You know what I, what I love about that story is... Um, you know, so many times as guys, we get amped up to lead at work, right? And it's all about mm-hmm. work. But, but we don't give our best leadership where it matters the most. And our best leadership should be at home. Yeah. And uh, that's that servant leadership, but helping develop that family mission statement and helping uh, lead our kids. And you're thinking about this that your dad told you when, you know, you were eight and now you've got an eight-year-old in the house. You're teaching leadership every single day. And yeah. uh, what are you modeling and, and how are you leading? And so, wow. That, that's so powerful. I love that family mission statement. Thank you. I love it. Um, hey, tell me about this. When, when you look at men, why does it seem like men, we struggle with being spiritual leaders? Um, I think it's just like being a leader anywhere, right? We, like you said, we kind of lead at work or we lead here. And we have these, like I had that entitlement where I just felt like this is it. And I walk into church and I'm not a spiritual, you know, I can't quote a lot of scripture. I can't do that. That's Jeff's job. That's these people. Do. And you listen and you kind of go and you do your thing. And it's it's easier not to, right? Mm. It just, it is. It takes effort and time and accountability. And so, excuse me, being a leader is, I think, is something you're supposed to be, not, uh, it's not, not something you do. And so, if you do it, like if you ask Peyton Manning last year, what do you, who are you? He might say a football player, but that's really something he does. Because mm-hmm. when he's off the field or now, what is he now, mm-hmm. right? He's still a man at his core and who, and who he wants to be. And so I think it's the same thing, right? If I'm a leader there, I should be a leader here and, and, and kind of walk that life. But it takes, you need to take that, I kind of said the second step. I heard this quote that leaders ask the second question because that gets at the heart of the issue. 
Mm. Where I think one of my kids, you know, they come home and say, hey, how was school today? And they go, good. And I could walk away, and we really gain nothing. Yeah. But I say, why was it good? What was your best part? And they tell you, and you ask the third question. The fourth, and when you dig in a little bit with those questions and then shut up and listen, you really find out what it is. And I kind of mentioned reading, right? You could read. You could take a class. Well, if you don't take the second step in implementing into your life, whether it be spiritual, work, wherever it may be, then that was, you were just wasting your time reading a book or taking mm-hmm. a class. And so take the next step. And a lot of it comes down to the accountability, is, is people don't have these accountability partners. As men, our wives are really good at building these accountability groups. Mm-hmm. And they have great friends. And a lot of times as men, your friends are your wife's friends' husbands. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But you sit around talking about sports and the weather and fluffy things, but you don't get the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll kind of go back to these guys that I meet with on mm-hmm. every Friday morning. It's been amazing mm-hmm. to see how much I've grown in the last two years mm-hmm. um, because I could say something and come in the next week and they go, how'd you implement it? What'd you do? You know, how are you getting better? You said you want to do this, you didn't do this. And it kind of brings me back to my Sunday you know, goal setting, yeah. things in my family. I love that. I love that. And I think as a, as a leader that that call to get better, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, leaders are always growing. And um, when you just stop, then that's when you, you go backwards. So how do you keep growing and how do you keep pursuing? Give us two takeaways for men in our call to be spiritual leaders. Yeah. Uh, I'll say first, again, I'll reiterate again, get a group of men. Get, mm-hmm. Find a mentor, mentee relationship, whatever it may be. Invest in somebody else and they'll invest in you. Um, I cannot, cannot emphasize enough how critical that is have a support network uh, of men that you could really talk to and that will not just let you get by with stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Who are going to lovingly call you out to make you better. Um, that's number one. Number two, it's really hard to lead when you don't know where you're going. <laughs> and so the mission, our mission has changed everything. Again, my goals are like little mini sprints to get me to my mission. And if you don't really know where you're going, you can't lead anyone there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never been a fool follower, so I'm going to give you three. Uh, <laughs> is is uh, take the second step, mm. right? You know, read, implement, right? Don't let tomorrow look like today if you really want to make a change, uh-huh. right? If you really, I mean, make, do what's necessary to do that and have these accountability group to get you through that dip, right? Because you're going to take these new things you want to implement and it's going to feel awkward and weird and hard and, oh, this doesn't work. You got to get through the dip. When you get through the dip and it becomes part of your process, that's where it works. And so you take the second step, ask the second question, and again, don't let tomorrow look like today. Mm, I love that. Don't let tomorrow look like today. That's, that's a great line. Joel, I, I do want to compliment you because you have done such a great job leading. And, you know, you've, you've, you lead well not only in your company, but in your home, but also at church. And, and, and it becomes a part of who you are. And it's not just compartmentalizing your faith anymore. You know, as you talked about before, uh, it's you're living your faith out. Thank you. And, and I love that. Yeah. So, Not perfect. <laughs> no, none of us are. None of us are, right? But, but what do you want your legacy to be? I mean, if you were to boil it down, what do you, what do you want your legacy to be? You could throw that picture back up. I mean, I, I put it out there, right? That yeah. is, if I leave and out of one of those 10 things are done, um, I, I didn't fully fulfill. And, and, mm. I, and I say I'm very focused and I want to, you know, win and I want to do this. And my mantra is if I'm, no matter how successful I am in my career, if I'm not more successful as a husband and father and spiritually in my home, I'm a failure. Mm. So this isn't my success. <laughs> my, my success at home and in my faith is truly my success. And I've put it out there. And again, I share this with my team. I share this with everybody to the point they're tired of hearing it. You might be already tired today. But I mean, that's it. I mean, this is, this is my legacy and what I want to do. Um, and it's timeless. When my kids are gone, before I had kids, this would have been the same thing because this is the core of who I want to be when all is said and done. I love it. God, that's awesome. Well, it's awesome that you took the time to put into it, right, to develop it, and then you're living it. 
Thank you. you know, so, hey, we got time for a couple of questions. All right, here we go, Joel. Uh, first question. You've led in a variety of industries. What is a common denominator of leadership you've found? I think it's caring. Caring and investing in others, um, letting them have a voice. Um, so, again, I kind of bring it back to that, that one manager called me out, and he kind of he set the stage of what his expectations were. Um, and then he, he let me lead. You know, he let me make things better. Uh, not by giving me a detailed go do X, Y, and Z, and one, two, three, and you know do these steps and you're done. It was here's what I think. Actually, I'm not even tell you. Go fix it. Mm. Go fix it. Make it better. And giving people the autonomy to be able to solve the problem themselves in their own unique way because of that perspective thinking yeah. is to say how I would attack it isn't necessarily the way you would, and that's okay. Yeah, that old saying, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. You know, yeah, and uh, I think I think we all respond to leaders who. Uh, who care about us then we want to give our best and mm -hmm. probably your football coaches growing up you know or you've had different people pour into you and some have been do this versus others who really say hey I want to get the best out of you mm -hmm. you know uh, and I think we know that difference right I mean I think I think intuitively we know when somebody's just using us to further their own mission versus somebody who's really caring about us and investing in us right like I said yeah. that little question how yeah. was your weekend yeah. it didn't let me get by and that was the difference in the question, because you can go and ask the question half-heartedly, but if you don't really push through to show someone that you actually want to get a real answer, mm. it's just the question. Yeah. But it was, a pur it was purposeful in his question the way he asked it. Wow. And that's something we can apply today, right? Mm -hmm. When we get back to the office today, when we get back in our homes today, that's something we can apply right here today. Yeah. I love that. Good takeaway. Hey, Joel, this next one, you, you kind of spoke on the idea of coming home and realizing that the leadership respect that you had at work wasn't necessarily the leadership <laughs> respect at home. Um, and, and you spoke a little bit on this, but the question is, how does leadership in the home differ from leadership at the office? It's some, when you push comes a shove, at some point they have to listen to you in the office. Mm. My wife never really has to listen to me. Uh, so I have to I say I'm always selling and sell more at home than I do at work <laughs> because I always have to. Um, but again, I need to care more at home than I probably even do at work. Mm. Uh, we, we, we have a saying in our home that um, our children are a welcome addition to our life and not the center of our family. Um, that they are, we're first, our family, and we do little things like when I walk in the door, I can't give anyone a hug and kiss until I kiss Trisha. And the kids think it's funny. They run and they try to tackle me and they're on my legs until I get to mom and it becomes a thing, but they know that mom comes first. And, and so it's like these little tiny things that we do and um, you know, I even once said, well, Delaney, my daughter, always asked these, you know, would you ever, and these little crazy questions. She goes, well, if the house is on fire, who would you save? And I said, Mommy. And she's like, what? I was like, I, you'd probably be second or third, sure. But, you know, I try to give it all. <laughs> but, but Mom is first, and truly, Mom, mom is first. And so she needs to know our, our love for our children is unconditional, right? Mm -hmm. They did nothing. They came into the world, and you just love them, and you jump in front of a bus in a minute. Mm -hmm. The day I met Trisha, mm -hmm. if a bus was coming, I'd probably second guess it, would I jump in front of the bus or not? Because I didn't really know her. I didn't love her yet. But we earned that love over time. And, and when we get married, that didn't end. It's not like I said, I sold you once on, I loved you once on our wedding day and we're done. Yeah. I have to constantly earn that love. And I think the love between husband and wife necessarily isn't unconditional. You have to constantly nurture and grow and do these types of things where you don't with your kids. And so I think understanding that difference means I have to constantly invest and love and build her up and do things. And, you know, this mission has seen my wife um, is just an amazing supporter of me. I mean, I wouldn't be able to do half the things I've done without her. Um, but we would even lead a small group, and she would say, I don't lead. Joel, I show up, Joel leads a small group. And 
once we finished this mission statement, she started doing some things internally to find out what her passions were. And I've seen her in the last year and a half grow in ways that I never thought I could see my wife grow and lead and step out. She's not in front of the camera type of person. Um, and she's just really taking these steps. And she's so passionate about things because she has a mission. She has a purpose. And it used to be just, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and that's what I do. Um, but it's gone so much beyond that. And it, it's, it's, it's amazing as we're looking at churches now for where we're going to go next. She's looking at where are my women ministry? Where can we invest in people's marriage? Where can we invest in, in, in parenting? Because that's like her passion. She's so passionate about it. But it would have never come up had we not done the due diligence and the effort to find out what is at our core that we want to be and do. Mm, I love that. Man. It, you know, I, just you say that, it, it sparks something in me because a lot of times people put their kids at their center. And, and then what happens when the kids graduate and they go off to college and they look at each other like, who are you? <laughs> right? And, and that's why a lot of divorces happen after kids leave. And you have, you've modeled that, right, by coming in and saying, hey, I'm going to kiss my wife first. Uh, you've modeled God first, right? You've modeled your spouse and then your kids. And yeah. now, you know, you've got work down the line where it used to be the number one priority. Yeah. And that, that led to so much stress. If you look right in the middle of our mission statement that says we want to be together. Yeah. And so that is yeah, one from our family thing is that it's not going to happen later. Yeah. 80% of the time you have your kids is, is done by the time you're, they hit age 16. Mm. And so we have this small time frame, we're halfway there with my oldest, of implementing and parting, what can you do? So when he and his sister are totally different, like different things, they have to find the commonalities that make them want to come together when they don't have to when they're out of the house. Yeah. And so that's now. We have to do that stuff now. So it's that intentionality of creating the experiences, giving them the moments that they could find their common interests to kind of move forward. And so it's, again, I have to be more intentional even with these people because they're with me forever than I have to be at work because... We're all going to change jobs at some point. Yeah, yeah, or move to Dallas. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but, you know, I love that word intentional because that is such a key. And, and, you know, a lot of times we think, well, the good old days, you know, these are the good old days. Yeah. Uh, and every moment counts. Every moment counts. So, Joel, thank you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. Uh, as God grows us as leaders, but man, you have challenged me, <laughs> and uh, I, I just love what God's doing in you, and I love what God's doing in your family, so you. let's pray together, guys. Father, thank you for this morning, God. Wow. Um, Father, there's just so much here to take and unpack, Father, in our own lives, and, and Lord, I thank you for Joel. I pray a blessing over him. I pray that you just continue to use him in a mighty way for your glory, God, and um, Father, I thank you for the way he has led so faithfully, God, um, in his home, at church, in his workplace. I thank you for what you've taught him. I thank you, Father, for this family mission statement, and I pray that they would live it out every day. And I pray for all of us as men, that we would be men after your heart, that we would be godly husbands and fathers, that we would seek you all the days of our lives, God, and, and that one day, Father, we would look into your eyes and we would hear, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And so, Father, here we are. Uh, use us for your name and your glory in our day and our generation. We love you, Jesus. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Joel. Let's give Joel all a round of applause here. That was great. Um, guys, next week uh, we have Jason Crockrell, okay? He's the owner of Flavor Catering. He's a member of our church. Fantastic guy. He hosts a Men's Leadership Network satellite uh, location every Thursday morning. He hosts our Thursday night uh, worship service, Thrive. Uh, so it's going to be awesome to hear from Jason. We're going to be talking about how do, you, how do you focus on Christ? How do you have a Christ-centered culture in your work environment? So uh, make sure you come out for that. It's going to be very
very, very good. I want to remind everybody you will receive a Men's Leadership Network uh, Rewind email this afternoon. There will have various podcasts, all the, all the past kind of uh, interviews that we've done. So if you, if you received that and want to share it with a friend, if you want to share it, if you dare share it with your boss today, uh, that would be fantastic. Or share it with your wife, Joel. That was some fantastic uh, information on leading at home. So thanks for coming out. We'll see you guys next week, 630. We'll get going at 7. Thank you. Jane.